Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Hour. Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. Yo, it's episode 139. Today we're talking about new business models and new user experiences in robotics. This is another episode where we're taking some highlights from Automate Live in 2022 because next week, Automate 2023 is taking place in Detroit, Michigan. That's right, A3 is hosting their biggest show of the year. And after this, it goes back to biannual. The next one will be in 2025, so you better make it to Detroit. And this episode is going to give you a taste of what's coming next week. You know, last week we did an episode focused on leadership perspectives from folks that had been around the robotics industry for a while. And this week, well, hey, we're actually focusing on let's say, a sampler platter of some of the newer innovations in robotics. And I don't necessarily mean the robots themselves. We're talking, like I said, the business models, the user experiences, and we're pulling clips from a handful of the interviews from Automate Live in 2022. Four interviews specifically, but before we dive into those, I want to say, hey, if you're still thinking about going to Automate in Detroit, That is on May 22nd through 25th. It's going to be great. It's free to register. Do that at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash automate2023. If you haven't heard the news yet, I am throwing a party with RND Automation on Tuesday after the show wraps up for the day. That's going to be awesome. That's at McShane's. You can register for the party itself at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash RND. But hey, in the meantime, let's dive into today's conversation. Our first guest is Misa Ilkechi, co-founder and the now VP of Product and Partnerships at Formic. We're going to get a bit of history on as-a-service business models in this conversation and how that applies to robotics. But we'll also hear a bit about Misa's story as a startup co-founder. I've got the first question for our first guest right now. So your LinkedIn profile very explicitly says automation is a necessity, not a luxury. Tell us what that means. Absolutely. Um, so I think I think there's not foreign to anybody that there's a lot of open jobs in manufacturing today that are not getting filled. Uh, it's causing high inflation. It's causing less profitability for small and medium-sized companies. And the current uh, rate that we're deploying automation is not fast enough. It doesn't work for a lot of manufacturers. Uh, We really need to heavily invest in automation, invest not only in purchasing automation, but also education and understanding how to interact with automation. uh, Because we no longer have the luxury in order to wait years and years in order to be able to automate. We need to automate today to fill those open jobs, to make the manufacturing more profitable, uh, and really uh, move the manufacturer to the next generation of, of it. Uh, rather than uh, kind of uh, doing the, the things old school way. Now, as a service is a very common term we're hearing in the industry right yes. now. Software as a service is probably one of the most common ones out there. We're seeing companies all over the place selling software as a service as their main product. Now, yeah. you guys are doing anything a little, a little bit different. You're doing ROS, robots as a service. What does that mean? 
to someone who's never heard of that term before? Absolutely. So uh, very similar. So I'll go back a little bit, trying to explain where the, where the software as a service came from, right? So in the um, in the 80s, 90s, 70s, when you wanted to develop a software, whether it be ERP system or a simple accounting software or whatever you needed, you would go to Oracle, IBM and say, I need this bespoke software, build it for me. And it would cost uh, quite a bit to actually build uh, that software. It wasn't for everybody. Um, it, only big, big organizations could afford that uh, because they, nobody could afford spending millions of dollars on, on, on software. So people just use pen and paper for whatever they needed. Um, Salesforce came around in uh, late 90s and uh, early 2000s said, you know what, we are going to uh, provide the software you need through a subscription. Uh, and it, it really created this adoption. So they internalized all the complexity from buying and hosting servers to writing the code and, manuf and people who wanted to use that software, which was a CRM to begin with, they used it uh, just through a subscription fee rather than going back and, and, and building their own product from scratch or paying somebody to build that from scratch. So. I think that unlocked a wave of innovation in software development because it became cheaper, it became more affordable, it, it, it was utilized more. I don't see why we can't apply that to hardware. Although we provide robot as a service, you know, it's a more gener general term, we offer hardware as a service. And to different companies it means different things, but ultimately manufacturers don't need to worry about the complexity of acquiring automation, of purchasing automation. They are purchasing an output. Um, so manufacturers are getting a piece of equipment that is going to provide them an output and they only pay for the output of that system and that's ultimately what hardware or robot as a service really means rather than going and investing you know a ton of uh, time and energy and money into buying and purchasing and maintaining those hardware you are just working with a solution provider that is going to provide you the equipment service it and maintain it and provide you the output you need out of that machine without you having to uh, worry about it so that's what formic does robots as a service Correct. right and you just described it a little bit. I'm excited to, to go into maybe more of the details sure. around that in a second. But maybe the first thing I need to ask is how do you get someone to shift their thinking from, you know, CapEx to OpEx, for yeah. example, right? This is, I would say robots are typically something you'd associate with capital equipment, right? But you're kind of flipping that on its head. How yeah. do you get people to make that mental shift? No, I think that's a very good question. I think uh, one of the things that we, we uh, you know, we run into constantly is this very problem. A lot of manufacturers want to purchase equipment. They want to capitalize on that equipment. They want to write it off. But, you know, what we try to explain is that model, although it's been the traditional model, mm -hmm. is not scalable. Mm -hmm. So every manufacturer that I walk into, they don't need one or two robots. They might need 10, 15, 20, 30 machines mm -hmm. to be able to fill the open jobs that they have at their facility, but they can never come up with that upfront capital or, or their risk tolerance might be low, so they don't want to invest in 20, 30 different systems. If mm -hmm. you're a $20 million manufacturer and you have 10 lines, you can't just shell out $2 million for automation, right? So what we try to explain that this model, robot as a service and hardware as a service, provides scalability and mm -hmm. enables you to automate a lot faster than the traditional way. Because what I've seen is people buy one system, when it works for one or two years, every couple of years they buy another one, and that that uh, adoption rate is not fast enough. It, it's not it's not really going to help uh, and, and scale. So, now when you look at these types of systems, from uh, how, how long has Formic been going for now? About two years. About two years. So, with your experience so far in working with companies on adaptation of robotics mm -hmm. and, and automation solutions. Do you see a lot of times where this is their first system that they're installing right now, or are you also working with 
companies who have been in automation for a long time and now they might want to transition to this model of going from buying all the equipment out front as a capital expense. You know what? Maybe we're going to take this certain production line or this end of line pack out sure. and try it as an operational perspective instead because the operational expense is yeah. just like have hiring an employee. Exactly. Yeah. So I would say uh, 60% of our customers, this is the first piece of robotic automation they're getting. Um, then the, I would say another 40% are people who either have purchased automation in the past, they've seen its benefits, but now they're really, really trying to scale, uh, but they don't want to lay out a ton of capital. I think a good majority of, uh, of that 40% also are some customers who have purchased automation, but it hasn't necessarily worked the way they needed it because it wasn't serviced properly, managed properly, deployed properly. So really trying to, you know, they, so, so they, have, they might have not necessarily the best experience when it comes to automation, but with our model, we're kind of flipping that in its head and saying, well, look, we will provide you the system and we provide you a throughput and uptime guarantee for the system. So it kind of helps them, uh, you know, have a different experience compared to what they have. So I'd say, yeah, 60% never any automation at their facility, robotic automation, about 40%, they either have had good experience trying to scale, the rest might have had a bad experience and they, 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 they're kind of off the market, but we try to flip them back. So then in that case, is there, I guess we talked about this being very targeted at like, let's say first time ro robot buyers, people that have maybe had a rocky experience the first sure. time around. Is there a particular industry that's jumping on this, like that's adopting yeah. it? Like I'm interested to hear kind of from the vertical yeah. perspective. No, I think we are, um, you know, mostly in um, fast moving consumer goods. So consumer packaged goods, food and beverage manufacturers, uh, you know, metal machining and fabrication is, is pretty big market for us. So I would say anybody in the small, medium sized sector, 50 to 1,000 employees, that uh, you know is any in the market of making food, beverage, or consumer goods, or metal machine parts, or injection molding, injection molders, plastics, and that kind of stuff. So, that's the kind of market that VC is adopting uh, the RASP model. I've got a two-part question sure. for you um, around the entrepreneurial journey, right? Yeah. You know, you're in, you know, Formic is a new company, but I also want to hear about your entrepreneurial journey as yeah. well. You worked at John Deere. You worked at UR. I'm pretty sure I got that right. Like, yeah. at what point did you know you might have the entrepreneurial itch? Yeah, I think um, I've, I've always been uh, uh, a problem solver, right? Mm -hmm. I always look to find better ways, more creative ways to solve problems. Uh, and I think the opportunity uh, to, to help manufacturers was, you know, such a big mm -hmm. desire for me after working at Universal Robots specifically and walking, you know, thousands of manufacturing facilities, especially small, medium-sized sector. I mean, I thought the opportunity is very big, and, and it, it was a good, it had a good mission behind it, right? We didn't just start a company to make a bunch of money, although that's definitely a, sure. in the horizon. But I think that the, the it could create this win-win situation for manufacturers, robot manufacturers, and us. It was an opportunity that was really tough to pass on. Uh, so, I think it, it wasn't a tough sell for me. Yeah, I, it was. Uh, it was definitely something that you know I, I've enjoyed, and I, and I really jumped in both feet. So was there a particular moment then, you called out your most recent activity with UR specifically, sure. was there a moment where you realized this is a pain point for our industry yeah. and me and my co-founder are the person to solve it? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think about, I worked at Universal Robots for about three years. Uh, I think after my first year, I, I kind of start seeing the trend a little bit that there's got to be an alternative model uh, for, for manufacturers to be able to adopt automation. Because a traditional model does work for a lot of large organizations, the automotives, the large CPGs of the world, but they have experience automating and they have 
you know, engineers that could service and maintain the systems. But that, that model doesn't necessarily work for the small and medium mm-hmm. size. Although a lot of small and medium size are, are, are very automated. I've been to a lot of factories that have a lot of robots, but the bulk majority of them, they don't have it. So, and, and, I, and I don't necessarily, didn't see any alternative uh, because the cost of the robots is increasing significantly. The cost of engineering is also increasing. So the cost of the overall systems doesn't come down. So, you know, we figured if we could provide this, it, a lot more manufacturers are able to acquire at the rate that they need it. Uh, and the traditional models would work for them. So I think it was something that, you know, I started developing in my head after about a year of working at Universal Robot. There wasn't necessarily an aha moment. It was just kind of idea that I was cultivating in my head and started becoming more mature as I, as I thought about it more and talked to a lot more people. I got one more for you. How did you meet your co-founder? Over the internet. We actually did All a right. meet. Uh, <laughs> we actually did a meet uh, for about five months after we started the company. It was wow. since we started during the pandemic. Uh, we uh, we just met up. Uh, we just met on LinkedIn. Awesome. I don't know if I've heard that story before. Yeah. Someone that started a company with someone without having yeah. met them. I've heard people meet on the internet, Twitter, yeah. LinkedIn, <laughs> all that. But yeah, in the middle of the pandemic, that's yeah. cool. Yeah, LinkedIn brought us together. So, Well, there you go. You have to post that go. on LinkedIn yeah, on the tag. Exactly. So robotics as a service is all about paying for the output of a piece of equipment. So that was just a quick sampling of this interview. There's more to it, obviously, that might be on your mind, like ownership and leasing and, hey, who services the robot? Well, the good news is if you are interested in continuing this conversation, hit up Formic at formic.co or you can go to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 139 and connect with Misa and all of the guests from today's episode or jump straight to the website. I've got links to all of the companies that are appearing on the show over there as well. Again, show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 139. Next up, we got Joe Campbell from Universal Robots. More affectionately known as UR, not only is Universal Robots one of the biggest names in robotics, Joe Campbell is one of the elder statesmen of the industry, so I wanted to make sure we got his perspectives in this compilation. Plus, we have a celebrity cameo appearance towards the end of this interview. Jake's got the intro on this one. So, when we look at your resume, Joe, you, you've been in the industry for, for years, for decades. Let's not, I won't say let's, centuries. Let's, let's not put a number you know? on that if we can hold <laughs> off. In fact, you know, so let's go back. How did you get into the robot industry? When I look at your LinkedIn profile, you started, I, the earliest day I could find was May 1989. We may even go back a few more years a behind few, that. What's significant a, that's a fact. about May 1989 is one month later I was born. <laughs> so that just talks about how long you've been in the industry yeah. for. How, how did you get into this industry, Joe? You know, I was very fortunate. I, I went into, uh, I got out of college with a marketing degree and I went to work for Honeywell and I was selling temperature controls and energy management up in Wisconsin. Uh, I had a great time and there were a couple of senior people from Honeywell who got recruited into the robot business and pulled a number of us, including me, in. So my, actually my first robot job was 1979. Wow. If yeah. that doesn't scare you just a that, little that, bit. That predated our research yeah. quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I kind of keep that off the profile. It's just fine. Well, you know, for someone that's been in this space for so long, I've got a two-part question for you. I'm going to give you the first yeah. question here is, you know, you've been doing this for decades now. What's, you know, if you had to pick, what are what's one or maybe the top couple biggest changes you've seen over that time? Well, I think much of the market has just been evolutionary, right? Robots get bigger, stronger, faster, less expensive, and that continues today. Um, 
and it really doesn't matter if you're on the traditional side of automation or the collaborative side of automation. Um, I'm having a tremendous amount of fun at Universal because it is truly a game changer. It's very disruptive technology into the industry. And it, it really helped the whole industry see there's a different way to deploy robots uh, into factory automation. And so I would say the biggest change uh, has been the sea change of collaborative technology. Um, the thing that has really stayed the same is the reliance on process knowledge. You, you, you really can't have a successful deployment without process knowledge. I don't care if it's welding or machine tending or polishing or whatever the application. So like collaborative being one of the biggest changes, same, got to have the processes in yep. place. Yep. You know, if, if I had another question around this, I'd love to get maybe just some career advice for the folks. Because there are a lot of young companies here. There are also a lot of young folks mm -hmm. here, more so than we've probably seen at automation and manufacturing events in the past. You know, what, what career advice would you have or what advice would you have for people that are just getting started in this space? Well, you know, for me, I think it's important to understand the fundamentals of manufacturing. You have to know what's going on inside the factory. You have to understand the process. Uh, you know, whether you're a senior or a junior, it really doesn't matter. So, my, you know, my guidance and counseling is learn the fundamentals, learn the basics. There are a lot of fantastic programs, either at the two-year tech college or four-year degree programs. Uh, and they're really teaching applied engineering and applied manufacturing processes. And that's extremely valuable. Jake, you and I have talked about this in some of the labor discussions we've had about how do you bring more people into this field? Yeah. Something you mentioned before our conversation, you know, and this kind of goes back to the advice for the people in the industry out there is, hey, there's a different, let's say, deployment model for collaborative yep. robots than there would have been for traditional robots. Can you talk about that a little bit so we can get some insight there? Well, I think the philosophy we see from successful OEMs is to really understand the guidelines of the application area they want to work in. And for the most part, they're trying to keep it simple, right? Or at least very, very well defined. Um, and I think that makes all the difference in the world. And, it requires a different mindset to look at an application and find the straightforward, easy, collaborative real, solution. Real quick, Joe, I think we were, we were, we were just being photobombed by uh, Dave and John. John. We get a widescreen here. This is about the best photobomb we could ever hope for yeah. on this show. That's impressive. <laughs> That's very impressive. But whoever was able to see that, uh, please take a screenshot of that and uh, send that to me. On yeah, we'd like that. We'd like that very that much. It's a shame profile. that we've already it's we peaked and it's only the second interview. Right? We'll see, we'll see where this goes from here. Of course, I'm referring to your answers. Yeah. Oh, good. Thank you. Thank you. The, the photobombing notwithstanding. Yeah. Yeah. Just a bonus. So I won't lie. I still regret, maybe my top podcasting regret, not inviting Damon John into the studio after he photobombed our conversation with Joe and asking him a question. Now, I think you're probably familiar with Damon John. He's from Shark Tank. But I know for a fact I would have asked him to reflect on his investing experience and knack for spotting, you know, what's next and ask him what excites him about the automation world. But for now, that whole scenario is a what if because I didn't pull the trigger. But anyway, next up, we have Etienne Lacroix, founder and CEO of Vention. 
If you're just getting started with robotics or machine design, you need to know Vention. I see more and more folks using this solution because quite frankly, it's a no-brainer for simplifying machine design. Now, they got their start with Universal Robots, but whether you're designing with KUKA, whom you hear about on this show all the time, or Fanuc, who were just on last week, Vention is really democratizing design for today's manufacturing industry. Etienne is going to give you a lowdown on Vention and a few more things along the way. You know, I've mentioned that these were recorded at a trade show, so the audio is not perfect, but I think you're really going to enjoy this part of the conversation. Hey, if we were having a drink in, say, Montreal, right, how would you describe what Vention does as if you're having a beverage with someone? We like to describe ourselves as industrial Lego in your web browser, right? You know, the, uh, our mission is to democratize industrial automation. And we do that by giving tools to the practitioner themselves where they can go online, design machine and robot cells, automated equipment with Lego bricks, industrial Lego bricks, robot arm, conveyors, structure, toolings, and then automate them, program them in a code-free environment, order them, and deploy also with software assistance. So it kind of fused the world of digital and the factory floor together as one in a Lego-like fashion. Almost like robot deployment for dummies, for lack of a better <laughs> word, if you reference that series. I've seen it, it's super intuitive, right? It's a cool platform, but Jake, I know you you have some things as well. Yeah, so we are, we're here in, back in Detroit, Automate, it's been, it's been a long time since we've been here. Now, Automate's something special to actually invention, so going back, Five years to automate of 2017. What was that to Vention several it, years ago? This is, a, this is a great story because back in 2017, uh, the company was not even a year old. We got given a boot at Automate for the startup competition. I think we're five or so startup. Um, we uh, at the time had a startup competition to pitch, which we didn't win, interestingly. And the boot we had, obviously, not the best one. We were right by the bathroom. And we were trying to funnel the people coming out of the bathroom to our booth to get known, right? So we were at roughly seven people in the company back then. We're now 300. Wow. Uh, so it's a, it was a huge journey and also was our first trade show back then. That's really incredible. I mean, yesterday there was a startup competition once again at Automate. And to figure out we're here now where you guys have grown so rapidly over five years. Now, when we walk the show floor here at Automate, it's not just a lot of your products in your own booth. I feel like I can't walk down a row without seeing Vention product in someone else's booth either being a pedestal or a demo or an enclosure case for a robot. What's the experience like if someone were to go online and go to Vention, what are they going to expect when they see it? And why is that so different from what people would just say, oh, Vention's an extrusion company. They just sell you metal extrusion and you can build something out. Why is, why is Vention a lot more than that? Yeah, it's a great, great question. First of all, I was surprised myself to see all the blue around the show, right? We, we haven't done a public event like this for the last two years, and we've seen, obviously, the sales number growing, but to see it live is very rewarding. Um, you know, the experience of using Vention is really, uh, uh, I always say Vention is not so much new technology, but it's a brand new user experience and business model. Now, as a user that go online, you can design at a speed of light. You know, the, the machine builder understand uh, the parts geometry, but also the part data. So when you design the part, click and snap to one another. We'll recommend you the next best part as you design. You'll see price being updated in real time. So the act of making a robot sales, a conveyor line, an assembly line, becomes so much more faster and easier. And now you get that deliver as fast as next day if you want to. Um, and uh, you start to assemble with a single tool. So we really took technology that existed, aluminum extrusions, robot programming, 3D design, 
and brought to in a single platform geared towards the practitioner himself. Etienne, I want to ask a little bit about what led to Vention. You know, because yeah. I was looking at it, you worked for Kinsey for a while, you were specifically in the manufacturing space, but I think you were saying other experiences helped prepare you for and help you find the need more yeah. so than that. I mean, Kinsey was a great experience, but like I often say, um, it was not the trigger point for Vention. Um, you need to go back in 2000 when I was a very young and eager engineer yeah. sitting behind a SolidWorks or a CAT cell workstation designing robot cells and automated equipment, I would say the traditional way, right? You go on industrial distributor website, you find parts, you're bringing them into your 3D design software and you, you build them piece by piece and there's a lot of custom. Everybody use standard but different one. So as the eager engineers, you're the one that basically you gain custom parts, custom framing, custom uh, you know, assembly plates. And that process to me was very broken, it was too complex and too long. Um, luckily for me, I was always passionate about 3D design yeah. and I've kept following all the technology. And if you remember in 2013, there's a great company in Boston called Unshape that started the first cloud-based CAD. And uh, that was the trigger point where it's now possible to do engineering-grade 3D in the browser. And if this is true, you could imagine the process I was navigating as an eager engineer to take place online where I design and I buy the exact same place. And that makes the process go much shorter. So it's really those experience of designing machine after machine as a very young engineers that yeah. crystallize the pain point we're trying to solve today. So that experience crystallized the pain point, let's say maybe the idea behind it. Where did you get some of the experience that's helped you as a CEO and founder oh, yeah. so far? You know, building a business is a, it's an extreme sport game. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of ambiguity, uh, there's a lot of unknown, and I think the McKinsey route prepare you yeah. very well for that though. To be comfortable with a number of moving variable, unpredictable future. Um, so definitely McKinsey was a great, of great help. So Chris and I were both very passionate about getting younger generations excited about manufacturing, getting them excited about automation. It's really interesting, when I have conversations, invention comes up in conversation, it seems like a lot of people under 30 are very familiar with who Vention is as a company when it comes to that, but people who have been in the industry for 30, 40 years might not have heard of Correct. Vention before. Do you see that as a shift as younger people or younger generations are getting involved in manufacturing? They're saying, oh, there's different ways that I can solve the same problem without necessarily getting involved with having expensive software that you have to buy every year. You can go online and you can get a software virtually for free to develop and deploy your entire machine. And I've always been true that young engineers are passionate about technology and want to try new things. And as a result, yes, a lot of our audience are engineers that are maybe five years into the profession. We always like to describe this as the father and son dynamic. There's always an engineer, very savvy, not an automation expert, uh, that works usually under the leadership of a more senior engineering manager or manufacturing manager who might not be familiar with the latest and greatest technology available, but together, they can shape the roadmap of how they're going to automate their plan. And that duo, that father and son duo, has been quite instrumental to, to our success and serving both. Serving the young engineer who's eager and passionate, but also the more experienced engineering manager uh, yeah. that will look for a full solution that has pattern of how he likes to work with you know, providers and buy. Um, so serving both has been key, but yes. Um, as technology gets more and more democratized, you see much younger generation that just finished engineering degree, for example, or uh, are adopting those significantly faster than before. One thing that just sticks out 
about Vention is I look at it, and I mentioned this at the start, I'm like, this seems like something everyone should be using right now, right? Like, so intuitive to use, solves one of the core problems, makes it easy to, you know, get those robots designed, ordered. So what's what's stopping everyone from using <laughs> it right now? Maybe a, a different way to describe it is, like, where are you in your, like, adoption? Yeah. You know, the the adoption and the reception we got from the from the user base has been phenomenal and fantastic. It's so rewarding. Um, you know, if you look at where we were a year ago to where we're now, we're running at three times faster, right? So, um, why more people using it? We're trying to go as fast as we can, uh, uh, but and it's uh, it's just a lot to absorb when you're both a hardware and a software businesses. But the the response has been phenomenal. The growth has been phenomenal, and now we're. We start to be a decent-sized organization with 300 employees, and to maintain that rhythm of growth, that three times year over year, uh, is quite of a sport. Uh, uh, so you can maintain the customer experience, the quality, the on-time shipment. There's a, there's a lot of pieces, uh, but we're we're very happy, and it makes us we feel very very proud. Changing gears a bit, let's talk about Montreal, right? I look at I look at Montreal and Quebec in general as a spot that's becoming. A leader in the robotic space. Maybe I'm I'm just the one that is unaware. Maybe it's been this way for a long time. But where do you see, let's say, Quebec's role in yeah. the, the the hardware technology robotics boom we're seeing right now? So so Montreal has been a very engineering centric uh, town from a mm-hmm. university perspective, right? There's mm-hmm. five university in town with McGill, ATS, University yep. Laval, Polytechnique, so on. So there's a very strong pool of engineers that were initially related to the um, aerospace industries. Okay. So today those engineers you know, are touching new technology, robotic being one of them. So we start to have a, a decent amount of success in the city and in, in the province of Quebec. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could talk about Kinova, which is a partner of ours that just launched their new robot this week. We could talk about Mechademic. We have a fantastic boot here with their yep. small robot and their new Scara. There's Robotic, who has been at it since 2018, developing all grippers and components and there's also Vention now. So we have those four, I would say, leaders in their own way that are now shaping the ways, and we already see now the new layer that are coming with vision and AI, uh, a smaller robot system in other fields, in, in medical, for example, that are emerging. So it's not the biggest cluster, but mm-hmm. it's a successful one uh, with good, the good leaders for others that are now trying to embark on that journey. So a lot of engineering talent leads to a uh, good company. So besides blue being a color for a great baseball team in the MLB, Vention has also adopted blue as their standard color. How did that come to be? Why were you like, you know what, we're going to pick a color that sticks out across all the other solutions out there. Why did you guys land on that? That's a, that's a great question. So that we started as green. Remember the really? okay. Panic uh, green collaborative robots yeah. that they had a couple of years ago? Uh, that was our color we chose before the Fanic came alive. We tested that color with a few kind and we got a big no way. And there's no way I'm going to put a green machine on my floor. We know though that social media have been so important today, we wanted to have a distinctive color. We wanted to own a color in manufacturing floor. Fanuc owns yellow, ABB, you know, Kuka owns orange. We wanted to own a color. So talking with customer, we converged to that metallic blue and you can see myself, I only yeah. wear blue now. My shoes are blue. So now it's, uh, everything is blue. So I always tell my marketing people, you can change anything you want about the brand, but the color is going to stick to blue. We, we need a shoe cam here in the booth to <laughs> yeah. see his, his shoes. <laughs> you know, but I, I think that's actually really exciting, though, when you talk about that, why it's so important for manufacturers to be building a brand beyond just their solutions, right? When you're on social media and people are scrolling through, that's something that I do. If I'm scrolling through and I see a new machine installed, I'm like, oh, that's a Vention machine 
or a Vention solution, and I can immediately tell it's that product because of the color and the anodization. Yeah. I think it's one of those things that more companies in this manufacturing space need to learn from is how do you better brand yourself in the industry beyond just the specific product that you're providing? We do see that trend, right? Manufacturing is getting consumerized to some extent and users want to relate to brands as you do in the consumer world and we see more and more manufacturing or industrial automation companies being sensitive to that. Right? You know, one of the things that really stuck out to me in that interview was that Vention is not so much about new technology, it's a brand new user experience, and ultimately that's the whole point of today's episode, right? We often think of robots in terms of innovation and technology, but sometimes the innovation isn't in the robots itself. It's around everything else surrounding it, whether it's the business models that we were talking about with Formic, or in this case, the ease of designing the robot. You know, designing online, using building blocks, getting recommendations on the next part to use. We were just talking about designing robotic cells with Vention, but now let's talk about another company that's simplifying robotic programming. Kel Gearin is the CTO of Ready Robotics, and you're going to hear how they're simplifying things on the programming side. All right, welcome everyone back to the final session, day four. We're here in the afternoon. Man, it has been an incredible week. My name is Jake Hall. I'm the Manufacturing Millennial. My co-host the entire week has been Chris Lukey from Manufacturing Happy Hour. Wow, and we are joined today by Kel Guerin, the Chief Innovative Officer at Ready Robotics. Hi did guys. Did I get that right? You did. Awesome. How's this week been so for you so far? It's really been incredible. I think the uh, the fact that we haven't had a physical show in the last two years really shows, and I've seen so much excitement here with people coming to the booth, people coming to check out what's new, and also just connect with people that we haven't seen face-to-face. -face. We've missed that connection. It's been so important. I'm going to start this off manufacturing happy hour style as well, because yes. we want to make sure the folks out there know about Ready Robotics, right? So let's say we're kicking it. We're putting our feet up, having a drink at the end of a long trade show, right? And someone still hasn't gotten enough of the trade show yet. They're like, Cal, like, what does Ready Robotics do? How do you answer that as if you're having a drink with them, regardless of whether you're tired or not? Yeah, that's always the issue, right? <laughs> um, so Ready Robotics makes robots easy to use. That's the key piece of what we do. Uh, it's what I studied during my PhD. It's what we brought into the company, and our ethos is, is that Everyone, no matter who they are, no matter what they do in a manufacturing setting, should be able to program a robot. It should be that easy. So we build software that allows that kind of ease of use across any robot, no matter which brand you're using. So that's a big thing out there. Right now in the manufacturing industry, in fact, when we walk the manufacturing floor right now, there's dozens of different manufacturers that have their own type of control language, their own type of teach pen, their own type of controller. You guys, in a sense, are creating some sort of, of democratization across robot manufacturers where depending, no matter what type of application it is or what is required for that type of that, the robot programming language is the same. Why was that such a big push for you guys when you guys were going in and developing Ready Robotics? Absolutely, I mean, we started very much with the ease of use in mind, but as soon as we realized that we could make 
working with a robot, something that was very accessible, we immediately wanted to bring that to as many robots as we could. We were only on a couple of robots at the time, and we first said to ourselves, well, look, there are a lot of people out there using a lot of different robots. There are a lot of different robots with different capabilities and different systems that have their own unique value propositions in terms of these amazing pieces of hardware. But so it shouldn't be a huge barrier for me to pick one robot for one part of my business and another robot for another part of my business just because it's a different brand. I mean, we don't think about it that way when we change phones or when we change laptops, right? They both run sort of Android or Windows, right? We just kind of take that for granted with a lot of the other devices we use. Robots should sort of feel the same. I use the device, the robot, for the value that it has from the brand that I choose. But programming it shouldn't just be this whole new thing every single time what drew you to robotics i have to ask right because you have a phd that's <laughs> focused in it as well right you are hardcore even relative like relative to even some of our other guests that have been in this industry for a long time so what drew you there initially so I, I accidentally got into robotics kind of by accident. I was very interested in electrical engineering and things like that. And uh, what happened was, is I was at Carnegie Mellon, and Carnegie Mellon was starting an XPRIZE team. So this was the goal of basically sending a robot to the moon, a very lofty uh, goal. I had been working on camera systems at the time, and so I was sort of the guy who knew about cameras, and I got invited to be on that team. And that kind of plunged me immediately into the world of how to work with robots. Mm-hmm. But what was really important and what came out of that and several of the other experiences I had in robotics was the common thread of all these different robots that I've worked on for space and surgery and mining is that when a person starts to work with them, that's when things sort of broke down. Like, we can send a robot to the moon. We've been able to do it since the 60s. But having a person interact with that robot while it's up there, that's hard. And that same kind of human element really drew me to the manufacturing space, ultimately, where, which is where I did my PhD on, was manufacturing robotics, because that really felt like where I could have the most value in the technology I was building, because it's where the most robots are today, and it's where the most people are working with them. So what's that solution look like? We're making robots simpler to program, simpler to work with, simpler to use. I think right away is when you look at younger generations, millennials and Gen Zs, we're familiar with tablets. We're familiar with touch screens as the main means of entering information and receiving information. Why was that kind of the, the rollout you guys did with what Ready Solution is? That's, that's really what it's about. Um, there's been a lot of different solutions out there on how to program robots. We've had robots since the 60s, and there have been ways to program them since the 60s. But for the most part, uh, the technology that people interact with today are touchscreen devices. And also, the reason that we picked in our software, you program a robot using a flowchart, okay? Just building blocks that get connected together one by one into this flowchart. The reason we picked that is because not only is this nice tablet interface something we're all familiar with, but the fact that a flowchart is something we've been using for a hundred years for people, even who are not experts at anything, Mm -hmm. to represent complex ideas, right? You go to any factory and you look at the wall and they'll have a big flow chart about how a process is done step by step, any conditionals that might change what happens and how to deal with that, but it's all very set up very logically and it's done so that it assumes that even the most uh, sort of unskilled person can really succeed with that kind of model of how the task is performed. And I look at that as a way of large automotive manufacturers and large manufacturing companies in general 
they have the resources and controls engineers to deploy hundreds of robot systems because they have the infrastructure to support that. Yeah. However, when you look at small to medium sized manufacturers, which represent 95% of the manufacturing industry under 500 employees, I think it's like 70% under 50 employees, they don't have maybe the resources to hire full-time FANUC or ABB or KUKA or your SCOW or any other robot controller to learn their complex, or not even their complex, but their, their, their way of teaching robot programming. Yeah. I think what's interesting here is you can have a person who has, not, who has a non-technical degree be able to understand a flow of a process and integrate robots as a solution they might not be able to otherwise. That's exactly right. And and the rough number I use that really brings it home for me is there's about 280,000 manufacturers in the United States. There's about 80,000 people who can program a robot in the United States. So it's not even one-to-one. Uh, we're not even at the point where we could have one person per factory who's capable of using a robot, right? Yeah. So we're already behind the curve. And the only way to do that, to fix that, is to really have the people that we already have in the factory that are already empowered with the knowledge of the process, right? They ex they're the experts. They understand the domain. They have all the tricks. Mm -hmm. Empower them to deploy the automation, which ends up being something that if you brought somebody external in, you'd have to sort of teach all of that to them in the, to begin with, right? So you're own people are being utilized more efficiently. They're feeling better because you've given them, them a really empowering tool now. They're not just sitting there putting pieces of metal into a machine all day long. They're running a robot. They're running an entire line in some cases. Uh, and, and it really uh, gives that manufacturer, whether it's a small manufacturer or a large manufacturer, that extra resource that breaks the bottlenecks that they would be dealing with otherwise. You know, I was asking you about your, your PhD earlier, and I'm going to ask you maybe a similar question around it. It's like, do you ever find it ironic that the individual that got a PhD in this is the person that's like, it's my mission now to simplify So a PhD person doesn't need a program or yes, robot. Yes, exactly. <laughs> like that, the, the joke is, is that if we're successful as a company, I'll make myself obsolete, right? Uh, you like, know, I look at that as the point great. of many jobs, yeah. right? I'm trying, I'm trying to do work so I can create systems to put myself out of a job. That's yeah, I mean, I mean, ultimately it, it shouldn't like, Robotics is a tool that's very similar to computers, right? In fact, they were born almost the same year and commercialized yeah. the same year. I've got a computer in my pocket. We've got a mm -hmm. bajillion computers within a quarter mile of here, right? But robots haven't sort of prospered in the same way and that they haven't helped society as much as computers have in the same way and they haven't been as accessible as computers could be. Good we're point. trying to solve that. Yeah. I have a follow-up question on that. So paint the picture what five years out looks like. Is, are robots going to be intuitive? Obviously, Ready Robotics has been adopted everywhere at that point. It's easy for everyone to use. But, but seriously, though, tell me what your vision of the future is, given you know, what your company does, the work you've done, and just how you see things going. Absolutely. I mean, I see that um, in the robotics space, I think we're going to have, it's going to be a lot more application driven, just as how our smartphones and our computers are application driven, right? When I need to do something, I go download the app that does that thing, right? And I can expect that that app will run on whatever piece of hardware I need it to run on, right? If it runs on my laptop, awesome. If it runs on my phone, awesome, right? I want to engender a world where manufacturer can have that kind of choice, where they say, okay, I need to do this task. 
And there's a whole library of software solutions out there that'll do that. And those software solutions will run on whatever robot they pick because that's their choice. It's their partnership, it's their capabilities, whatever reason that is, they'll have the choice to do that. Yeah. We should have had you doing these all week, yeah, right? right? <laughs> you come and came with some great questions to wrap it up with. Awesome. Well, I think that's actually a wrap. And not only is that a wrap for this session, that is a wrap for Automate 2022 and Automate Live. Um, we're going to be back closing remarks. An so official wrap-up. An so official wrap-up. Yes. So stick around. All right, all right. These are your closing remarks. Thanks so much for listening, and thank you, A3, for helping make today's episode possible, for bringing together all of these folks at an event like Automate you just heard a sampling of the interviews from Automate 2022, but we're doing a whole other set of these at Automate 2023. I'll be joined by Jay Call, the manufacturing millennial. We're going to be interviewing all week long from May 22nd through 25th. And if you want to be a part of Automate, hey, sign up for free at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash automate2023. And of course, if you want to hang out with all of the Manufacturing Happy Hour community, well, hey, we're throwing an after party on Tuesday evening with RND Automation. That's after the show wraps up. You can register for that by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash RND. That's at McShane's in Detroit. Going to be a great time. The whole thing's going to be awesome. So I highly recommend you show up for this event. As always, I want to thank our sponsors for the show. Traction, thank you for doing what you do. The Association for Advancing Automation, thanks for making interviews like this possible. Thank you to all of you for listening. If you want to access the show notes, if you want to connect with any of today's guests, go to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 139. More importantly, go to Detroit. Go to Automate. We'll see you there. May 22nd through 25th, 2023. Don't miss it. Stay innovative. Stay thirsty. We'll see you in the Motor City. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Powered by the Industrial Network.